0: Welcome back to Screen Time. I'm Rokhan. And I'm Richard Multiverse Roper. We have <laughs> huge breaking Marvel news, don't we?
1: It's marvelous.
0: I <laughs> don't oh, yeah. really Sorry like about what you that. did there. Yeah, you should be. We'll tell you about that, plus the new CNN series on Late Night. And what happened to your grandfather's baseball rules? <laughs> Ken Burns right now is spinning around in his editing booth (laughs) thinking about what baseball has done to itself in terms of trying to make it a better television sport. We'll get to all that. Might remind you, though, that Screen Time with Ron Rupert is brought to you by AmericanEagle.com. The digital landscape is changing rapidly, and to compete in today's business environment, you need an experienced partner. Since 1995, AmericanEagle.com has partnered with companies of all sizes, offering web design, development, e-commerce, mobile apps, digital marketing, drives your overall business success because they believe today's online world is your opportunity. Visit them today at AmericanEagle.com.
1: Tell us about the breaking news. And what came as a very pleasant surprise, Marvel has announced the firm theatrical release dates for the next 10, okay. 10 movies in the Marvel Cinematic Universe row. They, they put out this amazing video, which had like 7 million views in 12 seconds. It could move faster than <laughs> Ant-Man. You know, it was amazing how how quickly this spread. Uh, I won't go through all the dates because people can find these everywhere and you can Uh watch the very cool video and it's all about how this family is going to continue on forever as it will. Well, but we're starting with Black Widow, which has been delayed so many times that I believe she has been remarried. The Black Widow movie with Scarlett Johansson, which of course is an origin story that is now set for July 9th of this year. Only a couple of months from now, they're sticking to that and that is a theatrical release. And then we go down the world. We've only
0: seen her before in those ones with a bunch of other guys.
1: Yeah, in the in the most recent Avengers movies. And we, yeah. you know, we saw what happened to her character. And Spoiler alert, folks. I'm sorry if you haven't seen Endgame by now. Not everybody makes it out of Endgame alive, including Scarlett Johansson's Black Widow. Well, how do you bring back a popular character? You show her origins story. But
0: does that make us feel sad about the fact that we know they died? I was worried about that in reruns. You know where I first... Lost my passion for reruns was as a little child when they killed Henry Blake on MASH. And then the reruns were running like during the daytime on CBS when I wasn't going to school or sitting around. Yeah. It made me feel sad.
1: You know, I get what you're saying. But then on the other hand, you know, there's another movie outside of the Marvel Cinematic Universe called The Many Saints of Newark, which is an origin story about some of the Sopranos characters, really more like uh, the uncles. It's not really a Tony Soprano origin story but we know what happens to some of those characters and their offsprings right. down the road True. and listen i was raised catholic what do, we, how do you think i feel when i see the, these jesus origin stories <laughs> i know how that works out too but there's a happy ending we're right. getting off of the marvel cinematic sorry, universe here my, my fault um i will say this my google calendar for 2023 was completely blank until today then i had to write down some of these <laughs> dates now some of these dates extend as i mentioned into this year and then next year some of the highlights thor love and thunder we're going to get another Thor standalone movie. And I think the one that people might be most excited about, and and I think there's more mystery surrounding it, is Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, July 8th, 2022. Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. Then we got an Ant-Man movie in well, that's 2023. that's a year away. Exactly.
0: I hate to interrupt you again, but that's no, 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 a year that's away. And it's a want...
1: podcast. The whole point of the podcast is for someone to say, I'd like to defer with you. I was once on the Serengeti, and I saw what the Wildebeest did. So that's okay. Go ahead. What were you saying?
0: (laughs) Plus, you also can say shit and stuff like that. Sure. All right. Uh, Wakanda Forever,
1: July 8th, 2022.
0: Right. But uh, but then that means that they must be in pre-production, if not production.
1: Yeah, I would say, as far as I know, pre-production. So we don't know where they're going with that story. I don't think they're going to try to replace the character the main character of T'Challa, Black Panther, played by the late, great Chadwick Boseman. But there's all kinds of directions you can go. I mean, that one thing about that film, even though Chadwick Boseman was the lead, there were more than a dozen great characters portrayed by some of our finest actors, sure. and you could go in so many different directions. And then Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 3, May fifth, 2023, so... Oh, I okay. want you to mark a calendar for late April of 2023 because we'll go to an advanced screening. I've got you on the list <laughs> with me, no problem. They know about the Screen Time podcast. Will there be so,
0: podcasts in 2023? Well, the
1: Guardians of the Galaxy are there to ensure it will happen. All so, right. you know, it's pretty cool. And listen, I'll guarantee you, one thing as well, Ro, out of these 10 announced dates, at least one of them will change. For some reason or another, we can't, it's, it, there's almost a, you know, an arrogance, a, a hubris, if you will, about <laughs> saying, you know, here are the dates. But I love this because this is what the studios used to do back in the olden days of like 2017. You, you know, they put out all these dates or even in the two thousand tens or the two thousands. Here are the dates for the Dark Knight trilogy. Here are the you know for event movies. Well, Disney to, loves this. Disney yeah. loves and to I be organized. That too. You know, and it gets people very excited and they did a beautiful job of uh, the closest you can come to kind of guerrilla marketing where people did not know that this video was going to drop and we it even features the voice of Stan Lee as kind of, you know oh, cool. The emeritus, you know, late father of this entire universe, co founder of it, if you will. So I say kudos, and it got a lot of people excited about seeing movies in theaters again, and I think that's, you know, even beyond the Marvel Cinematic Universe, all of the other studios should be excited about that as well.
0: For another podcast, but don't you think that the movie industry movie exhibition industry is going to change dramatically here as we move forward, that that really it's going to just be the big films. Your marriage story kind of films aren't really going to come out in the movie theater.
1: They're going to come out simultaneously on the streaming platform and in the theaters, but these are the exact types of movies. I mean, you look at those 10 films, factor in global and inflation Mm -hmm. and all of that, and multi-platform, we're talking about... Not just a few billion dollars, maybe $50 billion worth of revenue. Probably more than that. Or maybe I'm going to say $116 billion in ultimate revenue just from those 10 movies. And who's going to stop you?
0: Speaking of television, <laughs> late night television is featured on a new CNN series. I thought they kind of already did this, but this one seems to be a little more highbrow.
1: The Story of Late Night is a six-part series on CNN. Uh, the first episode debuted on May 2nd. We're going to get a new one every Sunday night into June. And, yeah, the story has been well-chronicled in all kinds of books and even fictionalized movies and other documentaries. But I think this is the definitive look, and What I love about this is it's very straightforward. It it follows a linear timeline. They go right back to the beginning of Late Night, and we start with the 50s and work our way all the way up to the current spate of talk show hosts there are more than ever before and certainly a more diverse group but you and i are just you know this is stuff we love i mean i i'm a half decade older than you so i i got into this a little bit earlier but i look back at my television watching experience row so like when i was 12 13 14 years old that was the early to mid 70s right and i look back at the prime time schedule to see if my memories were correct and they pretty much were Primetime television was still pretty hokey. Now, there were a couple of cool shows. You know, there was All in the Family, which was pushing, you know, the edges of things. And then there was like, you know, Room 222, which was about this. ABC had some younger shows. Yeah, Yeah. which was about this Los Angeles high school. And, you know, there was a diverse cast and they, they tackled some issues. But a lot of the most popular shows then were still Marcus Welby, MD, and Lucille Ball had a show old-fashioned variety shows. Programs like Gunsmoke were still on the air in primetime in the early 70s. So I didn't really give a shit about primetime television at that age. I was you know, playing baseball and running around and doing all the stuff kids do, going on all those dangerous playground equipment uh, toys and mm-hmm. games we talked about in a previous podcast. Uh, but late-night television, to me, when I was 12, 13, 14, so you're still at home late night. You're not out there getting into trouble when you're 16, 17, 18, you know, when you're out with your friends watching johnny carson on the tonight show waving away the cigarette smoke as he was coming out of a commercial break and bringing on yeah sometimes a lot of old hollywood stars but you know there was kind of the racy innuendo of some Mm -hmm. of the skits he did and there was just this coolness he was in new york and then of course went to los angeles but you felt like there was this other world out there with dean martin and johnny carson and ed mcmahon and Jokes about, you know, getting a little snockered and uh, Johnny's various ex-wives. Yeah. And just, you know, and and then seeing all these great young comics. Freddie Prinze would be on one night and young Jerry Seinfeld and Jay Leno. So for me, a show like this, uh, you know, the two things I really kind of followed with such great passion when I was 12 or 13, uh, baseball and late-night television. Even more than movies, because I wasn't yet going to R-rated movies. Wasn't allowed to yet. So that was still, you know, a few years down the road for me. The first episode
0: of this, if you've not yet seen it, is worth seeing. It'll set you up and drive you through the rest of it. Mm Mm-hmm. It starts in an era in which there was no late night television. I love how they start this. It starts in an era where television went off the air, believe it or not. I tried to explain this to my own child. I barely (laughs) remember this, but I know this happened. And At a certain time of night, you would have television stations, the local station, would air the national anthem. Mm -hmm. And then it would run a test pattern and then go to.
1: (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Which is the reason that HBO does that? HBO, oh, the old yeah.
1: HBO they still logo, use that once in a while,
0: every once in a while, is that thing I mean, that's because where they got that from your television was going off. HBO was coming on. Oh, was the idea? Nice. I mean, still into the 1980s, there were local TV stations yes, that were going off. the air. Absolutely
1: true. And you'll see a lot of movies that are set, and some TV shows if they're set like in the late 50s, right around that time, they always show like dad falling asleep in the easy chair as the test pattern comes on the TV because he wanted to watch it all the way through. Right, But even as someone, and again, we're both big students of this and fans of this, You know, I knew about Steve Allen, of course, who was credited as being kind of the modern pioneer of the, the talk show and, and guys like Letterman. The first guy to get the, the yeah. NBC
0: did the Today Show yes. in the morning with
1: Garraway Started
0: yeah. here in Chicago. Huh. Then they wanted to do Tonight. They did Today tonight so the tonight show was born
1: and they even came up with the idea instead of having one sponsor you know brought to you by Folgers or brought to you by Calagon having different sponsors all of that came from late night television and we know this you know Dave Letterman Jimmy Kimmel Fallon they've all talked about how almost everything they do the man on the street bits interaction with the audience the recurring characters all came from Steve Allen he was you know he was getting dropped in a vat of jello and getting thrown against a wall thirty right. years before Letterman was doing those bits, right. but what I didn't know was that even before Steve Allen, there was another talk show host, late night talk show host, Faye Emerson, and I hadn't—I didn't know anything about this. That was
0: shocking for me to see. She was a local TV
1: host in the same era. And had done some acting and films, but not a star at all.
0: Right. But, you know, now local television had female hosts. Yeah. The network didn't really have it. As a matter of fact, the Today Show was basically all dudes until at least a decade, two decades into yep. its existence.
1: Yep, yep, absolutely true. And and they have the this... Treasure trove of clips. And it's amazing sometimes. What is, you know, about the technology? I don't know, but it, what kind of, whether kinescope or whatever yeah. it is, because it's pretty clear. Like the footage of the, those early shows, like holds up if they manage to somehow save it. They, don't they would act- actually
0: film a monitor, is how yeah. they would do that. So,
1: and it looks great. So you see Faye Emerson, first locally, and then there were a couple of different iterations uh, on late night network television. And yes, she had the Doris Day dress and, you know, kind of looked like the housewife of the time. But She was doing a variety show and a talk show and even got into issues. And there's this great clip where she reads some viewer mail and some (laughs) men are saying, like, the woman shouldn't be discussing politics. And she's like, well, I I respectfully disagree. I have my opinion, too. This is in 1950. Now you think, oh, gosh, big deal. It was a big deal. You know, seventy years ago, and then the series you know follows that natural progression, row, and we get into the the Johnny Carson reign, and it is incredible because there were Jack, there was Jack Parr, and then there were all these pretenders, Dick Cavett and Joey Bishop and Merv Griffin, but Carson was the undisputed. I mean, he really still to this day is the goat. There's no doubt about it. I mean, it was three decades, and what I loved about the show, row, is they showed how. He navigated so deftly the waters of the 60s and 70s because he was a traditional talk show host who did have mainstream guests, but he was still very hip. But he figured out a way to do to get in some political commentary and some social commentary without alienating half of America, which is something that talk show hosts, by and large, these days have just decided listen, I got to go one way or another. You know, there's very few that don't get political on some level. And Carson
0: pretty much avoided that. Well, Back then, you had to think about half of America yeah. because now the ratings shares are so split into fractions. Yeah. When yeah. Carson was at his peak, he would have a 30 rating and a 50 Insane. share, Insane. which means yeah. half the nation that was up at that point was actually watching him.
1: Yeah, and he did do topical monologues. He'd always say, sure. "What's in the news? Did you hear about the the mudslide in California or the you know the Watergate hearings and things like that?"
0: Now, I want to just there's one little story from the okay. CNN special yeah. that has started that really tells you everything you need to know, not just about show business, but maybe about your own life. They hired Johnny Carson, who at that point had been a huge local radio hit in nebraska where he was originally from then he did daytime television in yeah. new york did game shows game and things shows. like yeah. that yeah. they brought him along he was at abc they brought him to nbc they wanted him to then be the replacement for the tonight show after a couple of different kind of false start iterations after yes. steve allen and jack parr but this was the crazy 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 moment there were broadcast executives that were split some of them thought, okay, Johnny Carson is the guy. Others thought Merv Griffin yeah. was going to be the guy because they had actually had Merv Griffin as a. Guest host, he had great ratings, and his response was really good by mail, Mm -hmm. which always tells you something. When the response is good by mail, that is every one of your relatives from your hometown writing a letter about how Merv should be it. But they liked his style, so they gave Merv Griffin an actual daytime talk show. People old enough will remember that, but they gave him a daytime talk show in the studio that Johnny Carson was going to work out of (laughs) as a brushback pitch to say to Johnny Carson, hey, if this doesn't work out, this guy's going to replace you. And six weeks in, there was a conversation about replacing Johnny Carson and luckily enough, he had the happenstance of a Western television star throwing an axe oh, the, at, at a wall. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the tomahawk, yeah. Uh. The tomahawk hits a stick figure of a human right in the crotch, and television history is made, yeah. and Johnny Carson is cemented. And it goes back to that one very moment.
1: Yeah, one of the most historic occurrences in the history of all kinds of television, let alone just late night. And it was live television, too. And it was live at the time. And I, I love this stuff. We talked about, you, you know, Carson, you know, changing and evolving, but also recognizing that he didn't want to lose that core audience. And it's, what a stroke of brilliance, row. There was the one week when things were really heating up in this country with the Vietnam War protests and the student protests and racial strife and all these things going on. And Carson said, I'm going to take a week off and I'm going to have Harry Belafonte sit in for me as the host. Because Harry Belafonte could bring on a lot of people that Johnny felt would be too much of a drastic you know, whiplash occurrence for his audience. So, yes, it was Paul Newman, but he was an activist. But it was Martin Luther King and Robert Kennedy and Bill Cosby. And you know, this incredible week of discussion, a lot of entertainment, but also you know, the Smothers Brothers doing their political satire. And it was Carson's way of saying, I know what's going on in America. I'm not the person to tell you how you should feel about it, but here's somebody who could do it. And that was just... The guy was an amazing businessman as well as an incredible talk show. Host.
0: Oh, no question. And there would not have been a Saturday Night Live were it not for Johnny Carson and NBC's yeah. late night dedication. NBC had Ernie Kovacs as a late night host, Steve Allen as we mentioned, Jack Parr as we mentioned. And the original Saturday Night Live was a great distillation of the experiments that they had been doing on late night television during the week in order to get there. And as they point out in the CNN documentary series here, This is a purely American product. Late night television did not exist. A late night talk show did not exist in any other country other than here. Now it's exported all over the world. And it's a way that you can reset the culture every night, five, six, in some cases now seven nights a week.
1: Well, you mentioned Saturday Night Live. And before 1975, right up until that run-up to the debut of Saturday Night Live, They were running The Best of Carson on Saturday nights on NBC. Johnny Carson said, you know, I've got a great idea. Why don't we do The Best of Carson on Monday nights? That way I only have to work a three-day week. (laughs) And you can put something else on Saturday night in that 1030 Central, 1130 East Coast time slot. But it can't be a talk show just like mine. It can't have the same kind of band. It can't have a a permanent host and a sidekick. And Lauren Michaels and other people were like, we got a show. So he really did kind of give the opening there. And the other thing I want to get to, Ro, before we we move on and, and talk about our next deal about baseball in America, I love the reminiscences from George Lopez and Byron Allen and tons of other comics talking about the moment their lives changed when they first were on The Tonight Show and they made that debut and had seven minutes to go out there and either knock it out of the park or just do okay and get that okay sign from Johnny or if he invited you over to the couch. But so many of them talk about how that first appearance on The Tonight Show changed their lives forever. And can you imagine the pressure of going out there – and you and I have been guests on these shows, and I. But I, when I went on the Tonight Show, I didn't have to go out and stand on a little star and do ten minutes of comedy. I got to sit on a couch and talk about movies, and I had that safety net. But there's still something unbelievably surreal and unnerving when you when the curtains part and you you walk out there, and the lights are so bright you can't even see the studio audience. And I to this day cannot tell you a single thing I said on any of those <laughs> talk shows when I was a guest. <laughs> Well,
0: speaking of baseball, we'll get to that in just a moment. So let's talk hot dogs. Portillos, known for their famous Chicago dog with all the freshest, tastiest ingredients, right down to the poppy seed bun, and of course their legendary chocolate cake. I know what you're thinking. Hot dogs and chocolate cake. (laughs) I'm telling you, don't sleep on the chocolate cake, my friends. The menu is bursting with mouth-watering varieties of char burgers, Italian beef sandwiches, cheese fries, chopped salads, Chicago land favorites since 1963. Portillo's now is national throughout the Midwest. Also in Florida, California, Arizona. You can order anywhere in the United States of America by going to Portillo's.com. Trust us on this, my friends. Portillo's. It is the future. Over the last couple of weeks of watching local Major League Baseball, Mm. All the announcers are talking about the proposed rule changes, not just the actual rule changes that have come in during the pandemic year and trying to move the game along a little bit faster, but now they're talking about changing the 150-year-old existing rules of baseball, even the size of the field.
1: A lot of crazy stuff happening, Rowan. You know, I'm still a huge baseball fan, and and it's worth noting that in the first few weeks of the 2021 season, that traditional TV ratings are up and MLB is reporting an increase in live stream hits Views, however you want to count it, you know, people always talk about, oh, is baseball dying? It's still hugely popular. I think one of the reason that you know, one of the reasons we're seeing this uptick is there are fans in the stands, so we don't have to hear that stupid fake crowd noise. Sometimes the announcers are there, often they're not present there, but they're they're giving us the the live commentary. The games have been incredibly exciting. We've had all kinds of incredible drama. You know, here in Chicago, your mean Mercedes, a ten year minor league guy, finally gets a chance, and he's breaking records. We've had the next generation of stars. Fernando Tatís Jr. hit two home runs against the Dodgers on the anniversary of his father hitting two home runs. All these, you know, crazy things. But we've also had these weird things too. We've got now and this started last year, right? The doubleheaders are 7 innings. So it's like when you played little league or like yeah. junior high, you get and extra inning games they put a kid on I say they put a kid because I'm thinking of T-ball they put a, a runner on second base to start the 10th inning that's really and, true you know it, I mean it, 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 I'm sorry and it, it, I get what they're trying to do and they're trying to speed up games relievers have to stay in for a certain amount of time but through all that row, we're still seeing a game that has become so much about strikeouts and home runs, strikeout and shifts. And they even talked about the shifts, you know, where there's nine guys on one side of the field and a fan in left field or whatever they can do now. And some people are saying, make the shift illegal. I'm like, how about this? How about the batters learn to hit the ball the other way? I mean, I think the shifts are fine. They've been doing that since the Ted Williams days. But – in You know, they're they're so worried about the, you know, the records and strikeouts were set last year, and now we're ahead of that pace. And so many batters, because they don't care if they strike out. It used to be how humiliating. This guy struck out 150 times. They don't care as long as they get 30 home runs and, you know, get the big contract and the long ball thing. Now they're talking about even moving the pitcher's mound back. Okay,
0: this is where they lost me. yeah It kind of lost me on the seven-inning games. I don't mind starting the guy in second. It's a little more exciting yeah. for the viewer in extra innings i think that's kind of a cool way to do it but actually changing the dynamics of the yeah. 60 feet six inches that the pitcher has to actually throw the ball that goes back to guys in racist sounding club names yeah. in the night in the in the 1800s i was gonna say 1800s, right. 1800s yeah. Yeah, these are guys right throwing a ball that was basically the same kind of idea, the same, it's like the leather, it's the laces, it's some crap inside, who knows what it is, but it weighs a certain amount, and they threw it back then at 60 yeah. miles an hour, and someone's like, nothing moves at 60 miles an hour, the trains
1: didn't would even you, move yeah. at 60 miles you an hour. You see those old home movies, you know, here's a Bob Fella fastball, and here's a locomotive train, which one I'll get to Cleveland first? You right, know. it's so crazy. Uh, I'm with you on that. And you and, cannot do that. And the, and the base is 90 feet, and you know, the great thing about baseball is you have, even the four balls and three strikes, there was a time when that wasn't you know the the rule but it's that 120 some years ago and I love the fact that you can have the green monster in Fenway and you can have the short porch in New York and right. you can have a 420 foot center field Outfield doesn't count. the dimensions are cool and the foul territory can be different but the fact that it's been home to first the same 90 feet you know around the base is the same and 60 feet six inches and my concern here Roe, is for these pitchers who have become specialists and we get that cuz you used to have one guy out of the bullpen that could throw in the 90s and nobody else could now everybody throws 95 96 97 has these great pitches but these kids and I do t- I say that you know directly this time cuz we're talking about players who came up in the 2000s and the 2010s They've been throwing from 60 feet, 6 inches. When I was playing, you know, you'd, you'd throw from 54 feet until maybe you were 12 or 13 years old. Right. Some of the, you know, leagues coming ball. up. Yeah. yeah. Well, forty six, I think 46 feet is the little league mound, but that's when you're little. But by the time you're in high school, you're throwing 60 feet, 6 inches, the same mound, the same height as you do through college and the minor leagues and the pros. If you move that back even 6 inches, You're going to see a spate of arm injuries like you've never seen before. And we're already seeing that too much with these pitchers because it'll take a generation to get used to it. Yeah. At least. So, you know, now back in the late 60s, we had, you know, we had the the infamous year 68. Denny McClain won 31 games for the Detroit Tigers. Bob Gibson had an ERA of like 1.12 and still lost eight games for the Cardinals because he kept losing one to nothing. But the league leaders in hitting were hitting like 287, 299, 301. So... They lowered the mound. They lowered the height because the pitchers were were standing up so high. Can you imagine if you were batting against Bob Gibson and he was looking down on you from what appeared to be seven feet high? Right. So they lowered the mound and then they raised it up because then it, that that made too much of an advantage for the hitter. So I think you can you can you can kind of experiment with the height of the pitcher's mound itself. Make it a few inches lower. That will take a little of the velocity away and a little of the movement away. But the idea of moving the mound back. No. How about this one? This Pioneer League. Now, there's some of these minor leagues. That are, oh yeah.
0: God! This and, they, and they're league. not.
1: They're not affiliated officially with major leagues. They're kind of for players. It's kind of the Bull Durham kind of thing where right. you might you might get called up to a minor league team. One or you know two players from those leagues sometimes you know comes through. But it's it, it's basically what I used to I used to tell people I played semi pro baseball because we were sponsored by a tavern when I was like 23. <laughs> so you know technically so that makes
0: this by the way a semi-pro podcast yeah well yeah,
1: thank you very much <laughs> uh and i and i'm not making this and i was in a league i was just good enough to be one of the worst players in a league that had like two guys that went on to play in the pros okay yeah out of the whole roster all right and we were sponsored by the wonder Inn, which was such a great name because you know the, we, we always just say wonder Inn, stagger out that was our, our slogan <laughs> um I don't know what this has to do with anything. But but, but we so we could say that we were kind of associated because one guy, you know, uh, uh, Steve Trout, you know, who went on to a pretty good major league career with the Cubs and the Sox and other teams, his father was a major league pitcher. He Like one summer, he needed to get some workouts, so he'd come and throw a 15-strikeout game in, in that league. But that's the kind of how this league is that does all these experiments, and they've decided for extra innings instead of putting a guy on second base, they're going to do a home run derby. So if the game... If the game is tied at the end of regulation,
0: they then just do home run derby. Okay. For the so, for the win. So now hockey did this, right? With the they shootout. shootout. They did the little yeah. five minute Used to be used to play hockey until somebody scored. Sudden death, they called right. it. They yes. didn't call
1: it sudden victory. It was sudden death.
0: Yes. Now they've <laughs> changed it because the guys are getting tired. Obviously football's made changes to yeah.
1: Well, same thing with football. You're right. It used to be overtime until someone what is it now? Ten minutes, and that's it. Right. Yeah. It Used to
0: be a quarter, and then they just they there were always ties in football, which screws everything up because you
1: hate that extra tie. It was always you know it was always column. those damn Cleveland Browns who would get a tie because <laughs> I you know because you'd look and be like why are, why do they have to be two four and one.
0: Come on, it's man! The worst, and it and it's the hook in gambling. It always gets you at some point. Some guy does not make it's the playoffs just because. A tie. Of, yeah. Oh god. Anyway. Yeah. Separate issue. Uh, baseball <laughs> will never end in ties. So I do like the idea of a home run derby because the home run derby is really pretty much the best part of the All Star Week.
1: Yeah. Well, and for a while, the slam dunk was the best thing about the NBA uh, All Star. Is it? Because I don't know if you know the superstars don't participate but and then all of a sudden you're going to be thinking like all right well if you're the match you got like pete alonzo so you're probably going to win all the extra inning games because that right. guy was built right for well, the homer you- derby but now they have you know they have expanded rosters then most teams will use that extra roster spot for a pitcher because we talked about the fact that pitchers are used you know four innings two innings one inning one batter if they did this You'd just hire some big, giant, 16-inch softball home run hitting guy. Because home run derby, you got to remember, that's the guy from your own team, the pitching coach, or whatever, lobbing yeah. easy pitches. So you find some guy who could never do anything but hit the ball 600 feet but could never hit a major league fastball. So that would be kind of fun because you'd have Rocky Balboa-esque stories. They'd be like, you know, Bronco Jones from Pittsburgh, 37, is now the home run derby he has given the Pirates three wins this year. Actually,
0: actually, it could be Bronco Jones, 57, well, from his hometown. Right? You never know, as
1: you point or out. Or the, Melissa Jones, the, a, a fantastic softball player. Think about that. Could be. How about this? Yeah, I got another one for you.
0: Well, Maybe, by the way, I, I endorse this. You, I, you want the home run derby? I, I'm okay with the home run derby.
1: Yeah, I say the first game that ends in a tie for every team, the Home Run Derby participants are selected from the audience, from the fans, <laughs> like they do with the 50-50 raffle. You pick three fans yeah. from the stands mm-hmm. on, and to represent each team, and they got to go out there, and you move the fences in, because if not, you'd be out there for a long
0: time. That's, the, uh, that's what the intermission between the second and third period in hockey is all for. Is, is uh, Also oh, for the, the people the, that come the, out on the, the carpet and shoot the and puck, shoot yeah. The puck. All I know is that if you actually move that pitching mound
1: back, Don't do it. yeah,
0: you are asking for all kinds of trouble yeah. because there are still people that are anywhere from eight to eighty who know everything about baseball. Mm-hmm. Who all they want to do is talk about the pure geometry of baseball yes. and how it's great American genius at work, I agree. and it is. So do not move that. Yes, you can move the mound up and down, as you pointed out. I think that's actually kind of a good idea. I actually want the mound go up. I would like to see... Just for one game. Yeah, just because you would be amazed at the difference that that would make as a viewer. If you're not old enough to remember those days of the mound being higher, the way that a curveball moved... That's the thing. That's the difference. People talk about curveballs now. It's very yeah. rarely thrown. But back when you and I were kids, that was, it was a fastball and a curveball. Those were the two things. And yeah. then the slider came around. And you're like, well, I don't even know what the
1: hell that means. It's kind of a curve. But, yeah, when the mound was higher, you think about a pitcher who's six four, like Sudden Sam McDowell. They called him Sudden Sam because suddenly the ball would hit you in the head and you'd be dead practically. <laughs> but by the time he released the ball from a higher mound, it felt like he were like was three feet away. And the Last sidebar I'll offer wrote to Mm -hmm. all of our friends out there in podcast land. And thank you for listening and downloading and all of that great stuff. And tune
0: in for our Mother's Day special on Thursday. You don't tune in, you download.
1: I can't get out of radio, can I? No! In a way, you're tuning in. No, I
0: want you to download next Thursday. This coming up, in two days, download the podcast.
1: But I will say this. For anybody who's ever given the chance to throw out the ceremonial first pitch at a major league ballpark, and it's a nerve-wracking experience because you don't want to be right up there with 50 Cent and some of the other ones who have thrown the ball into the stands and they'll, they run it on YouTube forever. Here's the mistake everybody makes. You, you're, you're the local volunteer for this or the right. bigwig for that or radio host or whatever the case may be and they say, how'd you like to throw out the first pitch? That'd be amazing. And everybody, they walk off 60 feet, 6 inches mm-hmm. and they practice and they practice in their driveway and they practice in their backyard yes. and the thing they never think about is the height of the mound. So when you walk out there, you got your one shot and they're on the mound almost every pitch that goes wrong goes high because they don't think about the fact that they're on a mound and they try to overcompensate and either it goes it bounces three feet in front of the plate or goes 20 feet over because they're not used to it well, my cheat sheet advice is get out there stand on the river Throw it exactly aimed for the catcher's head, which just like, you know, that's the, the spot. Because then if it goes a little higher, a little and then get the hell out of there. And I had my one pitch, and it didn't go flying into the dugout, and I'll never do it again because it's not worth the YouTube humiliation. Thank you. Good
0: night. Mine was a blaring strike. <laughs> this segment brought to you by Dr. Anthony Fauci. The Row Podcast is brought to you by AmericanEagle.com Studios. AmericanEagle.com is a full-service global digital agency providing best-in-class web design, development, hosting, digital marketing services, and so much more. Visit AmericanEagle.com for more information. Tim Malenius and Renee Nelson are our executive producers. Brian Altimer is our production and music director. See you next time.